Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewertz, editor and publisher of Sports Travel, and our guest on this episode is Helen Maroulis, the first American woman to win a gold medal in wrestling when she accomplished the feat in 2016 in Rio de Janeiro. Following that event, Helen suffered a massive concussion during a competition that put not just her Olympic future in doubt, but her very own health as well. And in this episode, you'll hear her remarkable comeback story and what went into her emotional victory at the recent Olympic wrestling trials in Fort Worth, Texas, to earn her a spot on the team in Tokyo this summer. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Myrtle Beach Convention Center in South Carolina. Book your sports event at the Convention Center by the beach. The Myrtle Beach Convention Center offers 100,800 square feet of column-free space that is divisible into three sections, and each hall has 35-foot ceilings. The flexibility of the exhibit halls attracts a variety of competitive sporting events. Schedule your exclusive tour today and see why the Myrtle Beach Convention Center is the Southeast's most popular destination for indoor and outdoor competitions and tournaments. For more information, visit MyrtleBeachConventionCenter.com. And now, on to the conversation. Helen Maroulis has become a pioneer in wrestling after becoming the first American woman to win an Olympic gold medal in the sport at the 2016 Games in Rio. Those games came about after Maroulis had surprisingly failed to make the team for the 2012 Games, a loss that motivated her to her stunning performance in Rio. Not only did Helen break new ground for women's wrestling in the United States with that victory, it was the magnitude of the victory that also impressed. To earn the gold, she beat the most dominant wrestler of all time. Time, three-time Olympic gold medalist and 13-time world champion Sayori Yoshida of Japan. Helen's career seemed to be full of possibilities following the Rio Games, but a concussion suffered during a competition two years later pretty much put everything on hold. Helen struggled to regain her own health, trying various techniques to get her back to feeling right, let alone feeling comfortable enough to get back on the mat. But eventually, with considerable outside help, she fought her way back. And at the Olympic trials in Fort Worth earlier this year, she beat Jenna Burkett in an emotional 2-1 match that came just days after Burkett's mother had tragically passed away. It was an incredible moment in sports, and if you haven't seen the footage of that match, it is more than worth a watch for the emotion pouring out on both sides. With that victory, Helen is bound for Tokyo to defend her title. In this conversation, we talk about Helen's start in wrestling, her journey, to the Olympic Games, her epic comeback from her concussion, and the victory at the trials. We also talk about what this most unusual experience will be like in Tokyo and how far women's wrestling has come since she began her pursuit of gold. We'd also like to say a special thanks to one of Helen's sponsors, Procter & Gamble, for their help in arranging this conversation. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Helen Maroulis, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's absolutely a pleasure to chat with you. There's a lot of ground I want to cover with you, Helen, but I thought I'd start particularly for our audience who is familiar with wrestling, may not necessarily be familiar with your entire story, but I always like starting at the beginning, especially when we talk about a sport like women's wrestling. Curious what your introduction was to the sports before we get into all the uh, the Olympics and everything else uh, that you've uh, ascended to. What was the beginning for you? How, how did you even get involved in wrestling? Yeah. So I started wrestling when I was seven years old. I have an older and a younger brother and my older brother was in it and my younger brother had just joined and there weren't enough kids on the team. And the coach told my mom, we'll just bring him back next year. And my mom didn't want to do that. So she (laughs) pulled my shoes off and jumped in there and, you know, be his dummy. And after two weeks of all the hard work and sprints and pushups, I went to my parents and I said, Hey, this isn't fair. 
the boys get to compete, but I don't. And so my dad made a bet with me that I could wrestle one match. And if I won that match, I could continue wrestling. And so I was a uh, one in 30 that year but <laughs> I to continue wrestling. That's excellent. Well, it seems like a common story a lot of times, particularly on emerging sports where we've seen either a brother or you know someone that, that got you involved in the first place. And thankfully, there have been more and more opportunities, it seems. Uh, you obviously had the, from from those uh, auspicious beginning days of one in 30, uh, you've done very well for yourself and and started on this Olympic journey. I know in, in 2012, you came just short. What was that uh, experience like? And at the end of that, were you even thinking about uh, hanging it up or were you just more motivated to keep going toward 2016? Well, actually in 2012, after I lost at the Olympic trials, um, I was number one seed. I was sitting out to the finals. I was expected to win and I didn't. And so after that, I maybe in a fit of immaturity (laughs) swore that I was done wrestling. I wasn't coming back. I hated this sport, but really the reality was, um, I think uh, I just hated the highs and lows of putting my self-worth and my identity in something that it shouldn't have been in. And so I actually, when I came back for 2016, it was really about just, you know, doing it God's way and, and just, just really, really growing and, and just being open and, you know, it being about maybe more than sport and more about my self-growth. Yeah. And then, so in 2016, you win the gold medal, first U.S. woman to win a gold medal in wrestling. And you didn't beat just anybody, right? You beat a, a three-time Olympic champion in that final. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How intimidating was that uh, going into that match, uh, knowing you're going up against someone who obviously has quite a bit of experience and success at the Olympic level? Yeah. So wrestling Sayori Yoshida in the Olympic finals, at that it was not intimidating to me. It really was a dream come true. You know, she was to me, the, the biggest, one of the biggest, you know, pioneers and legends in the sport. She'd won 16 world and Olympic medals, never lost a world's or an Olympics. And um, it just kind of set the bar for all of us. And it, and it just showed, you know, women around the world, what, what, what was possible and that there was a standard of excellence and greatness. And so um, she really fueled my growth because you knew that there was this legend and you weren't going to just have a good day and beat her. You weren't just going to get lucky. I mean, she never lost. So if you were going to win, you legit had to train and be better. So I studied her, I studied her, I studied her as a person. And I just saw her as such a champion on and off the mat. And that really helped me to to grow and aspire to that. Right. That alone, I mean, that victory alone and knowing who you beat, uh, I would think would be satisfying enough. But was there any added significance to be the first U.S. woman to win a, a gold medal? I mean, there, there are very few people, even who win a gold medal, who get to do something for the first time at an Olympic Games. And, and you did. Yeah, you know, honestly, I, I didn't. Uh, I wasn't seeking to be the first. I didn't. I didn't want to. You know, I I grew up um, going to all the Olympic camps, and I I always thought that all the women were. You know, each year they, they you know, that it was going to be the year that that they were going to do it. Or I thought maybe some of my teammates in Rio, the lighter weights were going to do it before me. So my goal really was just to win a gold medal. It's really cool to be the first. Um, that is definitely special, and and uh, you know, I'm very honored that that I got to do that. And you know, especially just when it hadn't been done before and you hadn't seen it, you're just kind of wondering, like, is this right? Am, am I doing this right? Am I enough? And so to just overcome that and realize that you are enough was really cool. Well, let's talk about what happened next. Obviously, you kept uh, training and you've been very public about these last uh, four, now five years uh, have been like you. You suffered a, a very serious concussion in 2018 during a match. And and so let's go there for a moment for obvious reasons that set you back in a pretty serious way. But uh, when that injury happened, Helen, were you aware right away of what had happened to you? Or talk a little bit about what that realization was for you. 
Yeah. So I, you know, I had a concussion before and it was very minor. Um, but in 2018, I was doing a pro league in India and I got hit between the eyes and we just didn't know if it was a concussion, if it was jet lag, if I'd broken my nose. I mean, so it was just kind of the perfect storm. And so it just really didn't get addressed medically the way it should have. And, um, definitely, you know, shouldn't have, uh, wrestled on it, but we just, we didn't know. So that ended up being like a three to four month recovery and, I had symptoms that I, I didn't even know were possible, like personality changes, emotional dysregulation, and all these other things, light and sound sensitivity. So that really opened my eyes to just the, the brain and, and you know how much you have to take care of it. And uh, it was a, a long road to recovery, but I also learned a lot of really cool stuff as well just um, and grew a lot. Without going into all the details, I mean, talk a little bit about what that road to recovery was like. I mean, what did recovery look like for you? Did you have medical professionals obviously uh, advising you? Was it just a, a feel thing for you as to what you were actually feeling like being an athlete so in touch with your own body and what it can do? Yeah, I mean, naturally as an athlete, you're very in tune with your body. Um, but the recovery for that, I saw doctors all across the U.S. Um, I'm very proactive about that. And, and uh, you know, I, I you, you would get a bit of information that helped or a bit of training. You know, um, I wear monitors on my head, sensors, and you were doing balance retraining. And you'd be, you know, you'd have these like lasers that were measuring things like where you're putting your weight. If when your eyes are closed, if, you're, if your vestibular system is working correctly, a lot of vestibular training, I had to have corrective eyeglasses because my eyes were uneven. And so that distorts your view of the world, which can cause symptoms. So I had to wear these glasses for months and kind of wean off of them. I had noise canceling headphones that I would have to wear 24 hours a day. And just also most of the times I just wore blue light blocking glasses or something else that helped, uh, you know, with, with that as well, with the light sensitivity. But then even that everything, it really was like, it was just kind of like training all over again, because, you know, if you're wearing noise canceling headphones, well, then your brain will adjust to that. So then you, I would have to wean off of them. So I'd go to a coffee shop, sit for five minutes, go home, measure if I had symptoms or if I had two conversations a day, then I'd have to go home and like meditate or lay down for three hours. And then the next week I would try three conversations or, you know, it was just, I mean, it was, it was really a lot. And then I had vertigo, um, cervical and inner ear vertigo. And so that was, um, I did have to do like Epley maneuvers to fix that, but then I also had to do just legit brain training. So I would just train different nerves and uh, I worked with a really cool group and they just helped to figure it out. So it's really intricate. It was very, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, none of those symptoms sound great for wrestling. No, seems <laughs> no I also wrestled. Actually, they did a test and they found that called the Buffalo test. It was a running test. And they found that when I worked out, my symptoms actually lessened. And uh, so, you know, whether that's just like blood flow or circulation, so I would, but I still had the light and sound sensitivity. So I would actually go and just wrestle in the dark. I would go with my coach would come in, she would turn all the lights off and I would wear these glasses that they just blink. So you can only see like every, I guess, second or something and just lightly drilling actually just kind of calm my brain and body down. So I don't know if that's just because I've like always loved wrestling or what, but it, it was pretty interesting. Well, you obviously loved it enough to keep going and to pursue yet another Olympics. Was there a certain point in your recovery, Helen, where you realized this is a possibility that with all the training involved, all the stuff that goes into uh, even attempting to uh, to make the team again, uh, that you were ready to do it? I mean, was there a moment that you felt, okay, this is, this is something I've got to keep trying? Like, was there a moment that I uh, felt like I knew I could do it? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I would imagine after going through that experience, there must have been some doubts as to whether, I don't know if it was worth it is quite the right phrase, but just to, knowing what was ahead of you to to compete at that level and having all those symptoms and overcoming all that, uh, it seems like it might be might be difficult. 
Yeah. And so that, that was really interesting because I didn't want to be that athlete that like is just pushing through or holding on to something that you just shouldn't, you know, uh, after the last concussion in 2019, cause I'd swore if I got another one, I would retire. And so, so I, I did, I retired. I was like, why would I ever go back to this sport again? This is just not, not worth it. And, uh, you know, I just want a normal, healthy life. But what was really interesting, I actually moved home with my parents in December and, um, the symptoms weren't going away. So I was just laying on bed all day, but still, still not really having a normal life. And so just through like prayer and, and through talking with some people, I, I, I remember just thinking, I think because most of my trauma happened in wrestling that I might have to go back to wrestling to work it out. And I didn't think about it as competitive wrestling. I mean, I just started going into the room um, once or twice a week. I would wrestle for 20 minutes, have anxiety attacks, have to lay down in the dark for three hours, but then the following week it would be less and it'd be less. And again, it, it was like just training my, my brain out of it. And so once it got better, I, I called a coach and I said, Hey, do you think I can do this competition in three weeks? And he, like, physiologically, is it safe? I don't want to put my body at risk. He's like, yeah, this is all doable. These are calculations. You can make weight, everything. So I came back and I, I won that. I really didn't expect to. And then that qualified me for the Olympic qualifier. And then I won that three weeks later. And then that put me in the finals of trials. So really it was like, six months of just thinking I'm retiring, I'm done to like all of a sudden in a six week span, like you're back to number one again. So it was real drastic. Um, and I think that just made me very grateful just for the opportunity to com- compete again. You are listening to the Sports Chapel Podcast. This episode is being sponsored by the Myrtle Beach Convention Center in South Carolina. Book your sports event at the Convention Center by the beach. The Myrtle Beach Convention Center offers 100,800 square feet of column-free space that is divisible into three sections, and each hall has 35-foot ceilings. The flexibility of the exhibit halls attracts a variety of competitive sporting events. Schedule your exclusive tour today and see why the Myrtle Beach Convention Center is the Southeast's most popular destination for indoor and outdoor competitions and tournaments. For more information, visit MyrtleBeachConventionCenter.com. And now, back to the episode. Let's talk about the trials. You mentioned those. Uh, the Olympic trials and wrestling, of course, were, were moved from Pennsylvania to, uh, to Fort Worth, Texas. Before we get into what happened to you at the trials, just as, as an athlete, what was the experience like? You know, this must have been a different event than what a typical wrestling event would be like for you, just by nature of what we're all living in right now. How was it for you, just the process of competing and being in, involved in that event? Yeah, it was, I thought the Olympic trials were a great event. I remember all of us athletes were on a call, you know, a couple, couple weeks out when they made the decision that they would have to move it. And so it seemed really last minute. And, but then you go to Texas and, and it was great. Just the organization of it, the facilities, really, really big facilities. Uh, everything was spread out. So you, you had your space and uh, just, I thought it was very well run. So it was really nice to compete there. Yeah. Obviously you felt safe with all the uh, conditions there. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we got, we had to get tested before we uh, flew there. We got tested right when we got there. Um, you know, you really just with your group in your hotel and that was it. You couldn't even, um, you could, you know, I, I remember after I won, I went to go hug my mom and they wouldn't let me jump over the, uh, the railing. Cause you know, just cause, um, you can't yet, if you were going to be back on this side, you had to stay uh, on here because of like testing and protocol. So they did a really good job. Right. Wrestling, obviously, by its nature as a sport is among the most physical sports that there is. There's no getting around it. Was there any point just in returning to competition? Did you feel leery at all about it, just given what's happened in the world here the last year? I mean, I was definitely, you know, I was definitely concerned. I think delaying the Olympics was was the right move. And I felt like that from the get go. You know, I wasn't trying to hold on to it or, or upset about it. Um, and even coming back now, you know, 
you, you have your family and you know have like grandparents and you're just, you just you think it's more than just you right so you're trying to think about how it affects everyone um, so even with some of the decisions that they've made for the Olympics like not having spectators or fans it's like completely understandable you know it, it, we want to get back to life but we want to do it in a safe way where everyone can stay healthy well, we'll get back to that in a minute, but on the on the trials, uh, Helen, and for anyone who's listening here who didn't see that final match of yours, uh, it was pretty incredible, and the emotions involved there, obviously, for yourself, knowing that you're moving on to the Olympics, and, and your opponent, Jenna Burkert, in that final match, tragically had lost her mother just a week before. There was a lot of emotion uh, in that match, it seemed, on, on both sides. What was, it almost seemed, Helen, watching it, uh, you were almost as concerned for your opponent, it seemed, and, and how she was doing at the end, than you were, you know, the emotions you must have been feeling knowing you were going back to the Olympics. Can you just talk about what that experience was like after that match? Yeah. So wrestling Jenna in the finals of the Olympic trials was really heart wrenching. It was a lot of emotions. You know, I knew her mother had passed away. I knew her mom had been sick and in the ICU and I had been praying for her. So it was like, I, you know, then when I found out I was wrestling her in the finals, it was like, Oh my gosh, how do I, how do I compartmentalize this? Because we've known each other. I mean, we've really never really been in the same weight until this last year. And I've known her since we were 14, 15 years old. And it just felt, I just felt her wrestling for her mom. I felt her, her spirit. I mean, her will, it was just, it was unbreakable. It was so, it was such an honor to like wrestle her. And, and she just brought such a fight. I mean, it was incredible. And then, you know, after I, when I won, I just, I just felt like I was just kind of releasing stuff because I was just screaming and I, I was just like, so overjoyed just thinking about everything that I came through and I was so grateful to be back. And then I look over and I just see her crying and she's saying, I'm sorry, mom. And so that completely, uh, just mm. like broke me. And, and, you know, just in that moment, we just hugged and it was like, I felt like that was really all, all I could kind of do, but you, you hope it's enough. Yeah. And uh, something about the Olympics and the even the trials uh, tend to bring out these incredible stories and incredible emotions that just sort of uh, comes with the territory. But, you know, obviously, you know, congratulations to you, Helen, on the on the victory and you're, you're on to Tokyo. You touched on it before. What is your reaction? I mean, as we talk now, it looks very likely uh, certainly foreign spectators aren't going to be allowed, as we know, maybe even uh, spectators in Japan. Uh, for you, though, I mean, that, that includes family and friends, most likely not uh, able to, to take the journey with you. What is that like for you? It's got to be uh, got to be disappointing, I would imagine, to say the least. Yeah, I think I'm just I'm trying to keep such a grateful mindset because I, I'm just still really appreciative of the fact that we just get a chance to compete. And I feel like all family and friends are kind of happy about that. So that's understandable. Also, I'm really grateful that I had the chance to wrestle in Rio and to experience that where you can just win and jump into your, you know, your parents' arms. There's no feeling like that. And I think it's understandable because you look at the, the PNG, uh, the lead with love campaign, right. And your goodness is your greatness. And it's parents narrating, you know, their experiences with their, with their, you know, children competing. So it just shows that, that it, it really is. It's not just you out there. It's like you and your family and everyone. And so, um, it's it's sad that we won't have our, our families there, but I, it's completely understandable, and I think it's the right decision. And just really looking forward to celebrating with everyone when we get back. Yeah, and you got a taste of it certainly at the trials with limited attendance, and and we'll see what happens in Tokyo. But what's it like for you? Uh, I mean, having a crowd there, do you feed off the crowd? Are you even aware of them, or are you typically just so dialed into your match that uh that you don't realize who's around you watching? I think I'm pretty dialed in. I mean, I, I I'm just really single minded focused. When I wrestled at the Olympic qualifier to qualify the weight, that was actually, that was right before they had the first shutdown. So they actually had no fans there. So I have experienced that before. Uh, obviously, it's way better wrestling with fans and spectators. But I mean, really, you just, 
you got to go get the job done regardless. So you just zone it out. Yeah. And obviously this is going to be an unusual Olympic games on, on many fronts, but even uh, yourself having, you know, gone through it in Rio, you know, I would imagine then you knew by and large what to expect as far as the logistics of the event here in Tokyo. I mean, the rules are still being written even as we're as we're talking about what you'll be allowed to do, what the expectation is outside of your competition. Is that difficult to deal with as an athlete? I mean, you can control your own training, but uh, you'll still have some unknowns just about the experience over there. Yeah, I mean, wrestling as a sport, there are, you know, you go to some tournaments and especially some high level tournaments where things just really aren't aren't put together. You know, I've gone to tournaments where the refs are like 30 minutes late to weigh ins and you know, there's all kind of crazy stuff or the bus, you know, it's not running or this or that. So I think as athletes, at some point, you've just experienced a lot of different things coming your way. And then with this, again, I, I just think wrestling for the USA and having the USOPC and, you know, having like PNG and, and these other companies that are just everyone's behind us. Everyone's helping us, you know, it is the team behind the team. So I feel like as a country, we are going to be probably one of the most well-prepared and well-set countries to kind of handle this just because of all the support we have. Yeah. You touched on some of the other events uh, you've been on. Are there any things, uh, Helen, that you've noticed that the good events do well? I mean, is it more a matter of if you don't have to think about things, you, you know, the event is being run well, or are there any things that stick out in all the competitions you've been at where you've thought, wow, this, uh, you know, this venue or this city was taking care of me? Yeah, you know, I mean, Japan, you can, I just feel like I've always been able to trust that Japan is going to host a good whatever. My my first world championships, I was uh, 17 years old. It was 2008. It was in Tokyo, Japan. And I had never seen anything like that. It was so well run. They had everything taken care of. You know, they're really well prepared. You know, everything's clean. Everything's just kind of, I it really was just really efficient. And uh, I just thought that's how everything was going to run. <laughs> that was my first experience. And then I learned that was not the case. So... I, I think Japan is actually one of one of the best. I think Japan and the U.S. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you on that. I have no doubt that uh, whatever it looks like, it will be well run once we get to the summer. Well, let me close a little bit, uh, Helen, with you kind of on, on where we started. Uh, we talked about your entry to, to wrestling and even on the Olympic stage, you know, relatively new to even have the women's uh, discipline there. Have you noticed over the course, I guess, of, of your wrestling career, have things changed at all? I mean, if, the, if there are girls growing up now, do they have more opportunities today than they would have when you were starting? Is there still room for improvement? What's your what's your take on kind of where women's wrestling stands in the United States right now? Yeah, I mean, women's wrestling has grown so much, especially since I started 20 years ago. I think, you know, for the first Olympics, there were maybe five states with state-sanctioned women's wrestling. And so we're trying to compete with the whole world. And we've got five states that offer this you know, women's wrestling. So, so that's really big. And now I think we're up to at least 20. I think we might've surpassed that. So it's definitely growing. Um, we also had our first Olympic camp last week and that was a joint camp with the men. And so, you know, no one had to tell the guys or the girls what to do. Everyone just partnered up with each other. You know, you have your top Olympian men going with your top Olympian females and we're all working and helping each other and, and, and kind of like the whole, the whole PG campaign, right. Lead with love. So uh, I think that's been really helpful in women's wrestling is, is to just do that and, and to see people come around and, and respect your sport now is really cool. Well, the good news is uh, boys and girls have uh, Olympic heroes to look up to, and you are certainly on the list, Helen. So wish you all the best of luck on your journey to Tokyo. Congratulations on, of course, making the team again. And I think given your compelling story and, and history, I think you'll have a lot of people rooting for you, even if they won't be able to be right next to you in the, in the arena in Tokyo so much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Helen. 
This has been another edition of the Sports Shovel Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportschavelmagazine.com, which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason Gowertz for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.